Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Football Podcast. Our thanks as ever to Rehoy and Son for their support of the show. A pretty busy pod for you this week. We'll be talking GFC. They fell to a 3-1 defeat uh, on Saturday at Foots Lane, um, but by all accounts were extremely unlucky to do so. We'll check in on what's been happening in the Prio League. Um, we'll reflect on Mayer's uh, recall to the Lionesses squad. Um, we'll be talking about my performance on Friday night for the OEs and an extraordinary moment of football history, local football history um, at the college field on Saturday. And we'll hear from Jimmy Bullard as well, the former Premier League player and Soccer AM host um, who was in the island last week practicing with the kids at the Aztec Centre and also uh, doing a Q&A to raise some money for the Guernsey Alzheimer's Association. All of that to come. Uh, my name is Tony Kerr and with me um, this week it's the Guernsey Press Sports Editor Gareth Prevo. Hi Tony. And James Fowler. Hi Tony. <laughs> That's not to give you an intro there James. The editor of the Guernsey Press <laughs> James Fowler. Always get one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah lots to get through this week. Uh, yeah it's been a, a bit of fun week of football hasn't it? I mean well a fun week of football perhaps not for GFC in the end although um, um, listening to Tony Vance, we'll, we'll do just shortly. Um, he wasn't too downbeat after their 3-1 defeat against Badshot Lee um, on Saturday, uh, as I say, at Foots Lane. A strange game of football in terms of uh, the, the chances created and, and everything else for Guernsey and, uh, for them to come out on the wrong side of the result. It's just one of those games, Tony, where you sort of walk away after it's finished thinking, how on earth has that finished 3-1 to Badshot Lee? I mean, and that's, I don't mean any disrespect to the visitors. I mean, they, they took their chances when they came and, you know, they were delighted to get the three points. But how Guernsey FC walked away with nothing from that game, I just really haven't got a clue. They, they were pretty dominant first half. It wasn't the most exciting first half, but they were very comfortable in possession. They took the lead through Matt Loring and they weren't really posed any any problems in defence at all in that first half. After the break, it looked like it was going to be pretty much the same sort of tale until sort of the, a bit out of the blue, Badshot Lee got a corner and and it was a very good delivery, to be fair, by their by their left-back Callum Wiltshire, which caused a lot of problems in the box and they managed to stab it home from, from just a couple of yards to equalise. Even then, you just think, oh, well, that, that's just a minor setback. You, you thought GFC would go and sort of win the game from there and, you know, next thing you know, Matt Loring's hit an absolute thunderbolt of a shot from just outside the area, classes in to the bar and I just sort of start writing my note glance down at my notebook glance up again and there's like a breakaway from from the ball having rebounded so far and um, to be fair Josh Addison I think made the right decision he came out of his box to try and clear the ball he got there first but it was one of those sort of like sliding clearances where he didn't it didn't um, he didn't connect with it properly he sort of shinned it and it went straight to one of the opponents and you know in Nine times out of ten, it could have gone anywhere. It went straight to their opponent, and um, the guy uh, Reese Robbins, to be fair to him, he, he finished it off with a plum. He lobbed the the retreating defence, and they were suddenly two one up. And you're sort of thinking, how has this happened? And then GFC go searching for an equaliser, create several more chances. Um, I mean, Brandon Wallace had hit the post, having just come on, um, and then yeah, just just by the fact that, and they should have had a penalty as well, um, which um, Jack Griffin basically was going up in the, in the box for a, for a cross. He won the header and. Having won the header, he then gets classed by the goalkeeper. And it's one of those which the referees just don't really seem... Um, they don't have a tendency to give those ones. But, I mean, all it is is a foul. You know, to me, I mean, I know, I know Tony Vance was was, was just um, amused by the fact it wasn't given. Um, and then, yeah, just sort of in the in the dying embers of the game, um, when GFC were throwing men forward, there was a penalty at the other end, which... 
It seemed a bit of a soft one. It, it, I mean, there was no huge complaints from GFC, and um, poor Josh Addison made a made a fine save from the spot kick, and then it's all a bit of a uh, bit of a uh, uh, melee in the box as they're trying as people trying to get the ball, and of course it fell to bad shot, and and they score again. So it's just just one of those games. Like I say, you walk away thinking, how have we lost? It's, yeah. just, it's just one of those strange occurrences, really. That's a bit of a Guernsey FC trait, though, isn't it? Nowadays, you're not killing teams off with it. if Ross isn't playing where are the goals coming from yeah, they, you do find that uh, from time to time don't you I know we've got some decent uh, young attackers but yeah, there's a lot of inexperience in that front line as well yes I, I know what you mean in a lot of games but that game it was it was, it's the fact when you hit the sort of woodwork three times in the space of 20 odd minutes in the second half you, you, you just think um they deserve more, you know. There are games where you just think, "Oh, they're lacking a natural goal scorer." It didn't almost have that feeling about it on Saturday. It was just GFC, in, in my eyes. I mean, I'm obviously a bit biased, but they deserved at least a point. They probably deserved three. They were the better side, and it's just one of those games where, or it was an opponent where you're thinking, actually, at Foot Slane, you need to be picking up three points in those games as well, because I just can't imagine Bad Shot Lee being sort of like pushing for the playoffs or anything like that this season they, they weren't a, they weren't a bad side but um, I've, I've seen much more dangerous sides over here well let's hear what uh, the GFC manager Tony Vance had to say at full time yeah I mean I'm also I'm really disappointed and frustrated we didn't get a win and um, you know first half we were pretty much for 35 minutes in control um, needed to get that second goal I think um, but I was still pretty comfortable they, they showed in the last 10 minutes of the first half that you know we dropped back too much and allowed them to have a go at us a little bit um but um yeah the first goal was disappointing because we we sort of contributed to that we do you know we, we tried to overplay when we sh- you know we should have just you know at that point he wasn't he wasn't possible to play and then caused a caused a situation um but then we got the assist for the second goal through matty um hitting an amazing shot there's a crossbar and and uh bounced towards the halfway line for them to go and attack and you know that's just ridiculous. You know that's just us, isn't it? Um, Brandon hit the post with, a, with an outstanding effort. Matty again at the crossbar. We should have had a pen, I think. Um, that's a foul anywhere else on the pitch. Uh, ref pulled that one. Um, and those are all moments in the game where uh, they can dictate a result, and uh, they all went away against us, unfortunately. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of the group. Because that actual the penalty or non penalty decision actually came literally sort of a minute or so after they took a two one lead and that could have I mean, you didn't have to then if that had been given as a penalty and, and scored you wouldn't have had to change your tactics the way you ended up having to change no that's right it, it went it went like chaos at the end because we had to go for it and um, you know perhaps that contributed to the third um, but um, you're absolutely right but also the second you know we hit the crossbar that should go in the back of the net but it bounces out to them and they score you know <laughs> so. Um, yeah, two massive moments, um, and within a minute, <laughs> it, it, um, there's some what you would call a sucker punch, I think, um, of all sucker punches in capital letters. Uh, but um, I mean, if you look at our group, and um, you know, I, I don't really because you know, I said to the players there, we've got you know huge players out today, um, but not once in that performance did I think about them, mm. and that, I think that's you know um, a sort of kudos to those players there. Uh, you know, I said, you know, we, they they showed that they can compete at this level, and they they, they had a good go, and, and we're getting frustrated and and uh, standing up to to situations. So they'll be a lot better and stronger for it. Um, you know, I'm really quite positive about it because um, 
you know, you've got young players there who are um, stepping up and uh, it's exciting. Um, and then the other side of it is, is the old boys um, who, uh, you know, outstanding, you know, great that they're leading these youngsters and, and it's, it's a pleasure to work with them all, to be honest. And um, it's a nice atmosphere, one of the best atmospheres I've been involved in for a long, long time in, in, a, in a team. And uh, so I'm positive despite a real frustration and disappointment. Yeah, you know you should have more than three points on the board now <laughs> as, a, as a season. Absolutely. I mean, like, you know, if you look at the games, um, Ascot was a terrible, terrible day, bad day. Um, South Bar should have had a point. Sun Comrade should have had three uh, today, probably three. Um, and we'd be dizzy heights. So that's, that's how close it is. You know, I think this time last year, we didn't look like scoring. Um, we didn't get anywhere near the goal. Um, you know, I thought we were poor, really poor standard. Um, so, um, you know, we'll uh, we keep sort of saying little cliches, but we're building a jigsaw puzzle and there's a few pieces going in every single week. Tony Vance speaking to you there, Gareth. Um, yeah, leaves GFC 16th in the table. One win, four losses. Um, but yeah, given those kind of stats, um, uh, yeah, you sort of perhaps in previous seasons, um, Tony might have been uh, kind of more despondent maybe with the start. But um, there has been quite a few positives. Uh, you know, obviously the performances and and, and the kind of yeah the, the chances yeah, being created um, are quite encouraging. And and yeah, some uh, well as Jim said earlier in the pod, you know, there's there's a sort of another sort of glut of young attackers kind of being thrown into the fold this season a debut for Owen Woolbridge um, on Saturday how did he get on off the bench I should say yeah he, he, he did find typical sort of Owen Woolbridge very lively um, sort of showing he was always a willing runner I thought Brandon Wallace as I mentioned before came off the bench and, and looked to influence the game and sort of very early he hit the post within a couple of minutes of coming on so um, yeah there's definitely some positives I thought um, the other youngsters um, Steve Vance did well. Um, Jack Griffin sort of he sort of flitted in and out, but he certainly looked like he could have an impact at, at various times. So yeah, I can totally understand why Tony takes a lot of positives from that performance. As he says, we're missing Charlton Govine, who was suspended. Um, obviously, Ross Allen, we believe, could be coming back relatively shortly. Um, and Kesman and Mahon pulled out the game um, through illness on the morning of the game. So, um, you know, there's some big players to come back as well. Um, and yeah, it's it's a lot more promising already this season than at this time last year, where you're sort of like waiting almost for Ross to come back from his travels, and um, they weren't really sure where a point was going to come from. From what I've seen so far, they they, sh they should have far more points than they've already got on the board, which is in its own way, it's sort of like a mixed thing. It, it, that's a positive, but they should have those points as well. But then, arguably, now a critical month, I'd say, coming up because you can say, oh, one win out of six, yeah, but everything's going all right make that one win out of nine or two wins out of ten or something, that doesn't look so good, does it? No, no, very much so. Yeah, you, It's all very well to say there's promise showing, but you need to have the points to back it up as well as you're, as you're going along. Just finally, on GFC's weekend performance, um, there were perhaps made a couple of eyebrows raised at the inclusion of uh, certain Ryan Zico Black in the squad. Um, uh, a return after a couple of years away and uh, yeah, he got on the pitch off the bench. Yeah, it was, it was quite funny that they had three outfield um, substitutes um, on the bench and um, the age of one of them was more than um, the other two combined, <laughs> which is sort of quite a, quite a feat. And then 
to be fair, when his name was announced um, before the game, he got a good cheer. And then when he came on, he got a good cheer. And within a few seconds of coming on, Zico basically took on three players with some typically neat footwork and beat them all. And it's sort of like, where's he been almost? But uh, no, it was good to see him see him back in, in action. Um, I'm not sure how often it will be for GFC, but um, he, he said he adds that adds a bit more experience to a, to a side which seems to have sort of like quite a few pushing 40 or even into their 40s and quite a few teenagers. There's not many in the middle it's a real generation group, really, is there? No, really good to see Zico still going strong. Um, yeah, fantastic to see him involved on Saturday. Uh, right, I think that's it for part one. Coming next, we'll uh, look back at the Prio weekend. Welcome back. Um, quick check on uh, the Prio results from uh, the weekend. Um, there were three games, a big win for Saints on Friday night. 6-1, they beat Rangers. Um, then on Saturday, um, Rec uh, were 4 nil winners up at Sylvans uh, and Rovers um, 3-2. Um, they beat Bells. Yeah, Bells took the lead twice. It makes you wonder if Seiko had been available. Maybe they could have held on. <laughs> yeah, including a very early goal. Um, I think within the first sort of 20 seconds. seconds. 36 seconds is apparently... Every everyone seems to agree on 36 seconds well of course that is the second time this season that Rovers conceded in the first minute because they did it in the first minute of the season in the Martinez uh, no not the Martinez in the Rawlington as well doesn't count <laughs> there's no Premier League football this weekend but um, the next fixtures um, we'll see Rovers take on Rec um, uh, both uh, yeah both well two of the three clubs with um, two wins out of two so far um, based on those results the weekend uh, how do we sort of feel that one's going to shape up well, um, we've got a report in tomorrow's paper. Harry Jones has been speaking to the coaches and um, like you say, Tony, those two of the sides, it's like um, unbeaten with winning records so far. But I think Mark Romerall is very pleased with how record going. They've built some momentum early in the season and um, they seem to have the informed man in Marlon Jardim who's scored another brace at the weekend. Whereas Kevin Gillies is delighted to be two from two, but he knows that Rovers haven't hit the heights of sort of their previous season. So um, I think that'll be a really interesting clash on on um, when they when they meet yeah that game uh, taking place at Portsmouth on Saturday the 30th so one to look forward to there um, elsewhere this weekend uh, things kicked off um, on Friday night at the college field with a very uh, a big appearance uh, from a certain Guernsey Press football podcast host I feel like we should be swapping roles now Tony <laughs> yeah, we need to start interrogating you the, yeah the player manager for the um, OEA so come on Tony what were your tactics and, what, and where did your excellence shine through uh, it was the OEA Old Lisbethans against uh, college first and seconds um, which I was asked to help uh, yeah get get the teams together for and, and I believe you also appeared on both pitches well right. given that role I thought you know got to take the opportunity to start yourself in the first team game so um, yeah how long did you last did that well, no, to be fair, I, I took myself off after 15 minutes um, to uh, to retreat to the second did, team pitch. Did you have a suitable Tony Kerr huff and puff about, about being subbed? No, because I'd started. <laughs> I'm just amazed you were there for the start. You know, usually you're that, a couple of minutes late. Because he was going straight from work, Tony, uh, <laughs> Gareth, rather than anywhere else. Yeah, only just on time. Um, well, I thought I had quite a nice touch to begin with. One touch in 15 minutes. <laughs> it was a good one. Um, but then, yeah, but then went over to the uh, second team pitch and actually managed to bag a goal. Kind of, uh, yeah. Uh, Jim will be uh, surprised to hear with a back post header Oof. I know sounds uh, special <laughs> so fair. what what were the scores please I couldn't miss it um, you know two good contests uh, uh, OE's won the first team game 3-1 on the main pitch and the seconds uh, OE's seconds won uh, 3-2 coming from behind from 2-1 down to win 3-2 so yeah a big, I was going to say towering back post header but it was with the uh, the smaller kind of I don't know eight aside goals nine aside goals so uh, you couldn't really miss from there <laughs> 
so yeah, that was a great night at the college field. But um, yeah, my goal was very much eclipsed by what happened uh, the day after on Saturday afternoon and in the big Indies Rangers Div 2 clash. Um, and I was pleased to say I was there to witness history as you were, Jim. Yeah, absolute scenes uh, where <laughs> Indies 1-0 up going into the final minute of the game and John Fernandes picks up the ball on the halfway line and sets off. So he runs the uh, all the way down the touchline to the byline, then decides to have a little run across, along the byline, uh, you know, gets towards the goal, and then suddenly the ball's rippling into the far corner of the net. It's like... And that was John's first ever goal at the right end in some like 140 uh, league games. So, uh, you know, he's a very popular player in local football. So I'm sure everybody will join me in congratulating him on that uh, on that moment. Yeah, a special moment. Um, to be fair, he didn't know what to do in terms of celebration, did he? <laughs> Yeah, he started motoring towards the pavilion and... Uh, Ended and up doing a Klinsman dive. Attempting the Klinsman, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Didn't go very far. And then, yeah, and then getting back into the dressing room and uh, kind of, you know, sort of leaping all over the place. Uh, so, yeah, it was um, no, it was quite something to witness, to be fair. I think John said that he reckons he scored five own goals in that time, so he's now on minus four. I suspect it's more, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you, you know when he's finishing it like that, he should be uh, should be getting further up the pitch. Um, so yeah, that was that was quite a special moment. Um, a two 0 win for Indies on that occasion as well. So um, yeah, from uh, from yeah, extraordinary local football moments um, uh, to perhaps higher level competition. Um, I mentioned at the top, Mel Letizier is back in the England squad um, for their Nations League games this week, which is fantastic to see. Obviously, so well documented um, that she missed out on that World Cup place early in the summer, but yeah, kind of back in the fold at the. Uh, uh, at the earliest possible opportunity. Um, they face Scotland in Sunderland on Friday night uh, and then uh, go to the Netherlands next Tuesday, September the 26th. Both of those games live on ITV. So hopefully uh, Mayor will get some involvement there. And it's, um, it is big for them because uh, I think it's the top two in the competition go through or qualify as Europe's representatives for next year's Olympics uh, in Paris. So um, that would be a big prize, obviously. So uh, yeah, we uh, well hope they make a good start. What do we think of Mayor's prospects of getting on the pitch i mean after the after the world cup i don't sense much kind of changing of the guard in uh, england women's football but you know how, how does she get in because uh, if it's a weight behind lucy bronze i guess you know notwithstanding conceding goals in the world cup final uh you know she ain't gonna <laughs> drop out anytime soon well, no, but in these sort of competitions, Jim, you'd imagine that they want to give some experience to those younger ones for when the likes of Lucy Bronze aren't available. And, um, yeah, I mean, having missed out on the World Cup, you you know that Mayer wouldn't be regarded as in England's starting eleven if everyone was fully fit and available. But, um, yeah, having, having made her debut last November and being involved in a couple of squads, she's obviously highly thought of. And I imagine she should be getting some game time perhaps over the next couple of games um yeah it's it's a bit difficult to say but um the, like as tony says with the olympics coming next year it's, it's going to be a busy time for sort of all the players and uh they'll they'll need to rotate you'd have thought do you feel if she uh, played at left back rather than right back would she have a, a, a accelerated pathway into the team given that england play with a converted striker at left back 
Um, not necessarily. <laughs> um, I, I wonder where um, Alex Greenwood, who was one of England's best players throughout the World Cup, I thought she was excellent at centre-back. Um, she's naturally left-footed. She'd almost be the natural left-back if when if and when Leah Williamson's back and available and Millie Bright's fit. And So th- there's different options there. Um, I'm not sure if uh, left-back would be the way to go. I know what you're saying with uh, Rachel Daly playing there, but... Uh, uh, either centre back or right back is more likely where you'll find Mayer going forward. Yeah, I mean, you'd hope, wouldn't you, that uh, obviously it's a couple of weeks until the the new domestic season starts for Man United women. Um, you'd you'd hope that, I mean, given her performances last season, which led to her being named, um, well, nominated for for lots of awards, named in um, named in the team of the season as well. Um, you just hope that that. Yeah, if she can continue that form for Man United women, they have a good season that she almost becomes too hard to leave out or, you know, sort of can force her way in that way. Um, and it is a big season. Um, United women uh, will be playing in the Champions League for the first time. And that draw was made at the back end of last week. And they're going to be facing Paris Saint-Germain in that competition. So, um, yeah, uh, quite an exciting uh, couple of occasions for Mayette to look forward to you there. Right, that's all the local stuff for this week. Um, but it was uh, nice to be uh, in the company of a, a Premier League um, oh, legend in, in many ways, one of the great Premier League characters um, in Jimmy Bullard last week. He was uh, over uh, as a guest of the Guernsey Alzheimer's Association to, to raise a bit of money for them and, and spend the day down at the Aztec Soccer Arena, um, yeah, getting on the pitch with the kids, sort of sharing some pearls of wisdom and then um, doing a QA and a in the evening. Um, Jimmy, you were there for a fair chunk of the day, I think, and I joined uh, in the evening to do the Q&A with Jimmy and uh, yeah I mean just what, what a fantastic guy he is in person exactly like he was kind of on Soccer AM and, and on the pitch yeah I mean you kind of you know you expect him to be a 100% banter merchant I mean <laughs> you know the voice remains the same right but actually interviewing him as I uh, as I did uh, he's actually a much deeper thinker and that and, and does come across a little bit more vulnerable and with a little less confidence perhaps than you might think from uh, you know somebody who's been presenting uh, TV in, in glorious Technicolor for uh, for a good few years and obviously now to an extent his career is a little, little bit at the crossroads I mean he's doing an awful lot of things yeah I think he always has done since he um, since he stopped playing um, but you know his main uh, gig in Soccer AM has gone so he's got to keep himself busy uh, doing some doing some other things and he's, he, he told me a little bit about uh, his plans I think they're fairly uh, um, uh, fairly open at the moment. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting uh, with Jimmy because you know, obviously, a great player, but not. You know, it's hard to say. Maybe that football is his hundred percent his greatest love. You know, he's also very good golfer, very keen fisherman. Um, you know, so he's he's got uh, yeah, uh, fingers in a number of pies, and I think uh, he can make any of them uh, sing for him. Yeah, and Jim, actually, you tweeted uh, on the day a photo of you and Jimmy. Uh, telling the world that he was one of the three players that you idolised, even though you're about 10 years older than him. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm about. <laughs> So I was uh, probably in my early 40s where I saw... Because, I mean, Jimmy, of course, you know, only played 90 games in the Premier League, you know, and only played 90 games in the Championship. I mean, it's, yeah, for somebody with such a reputation, I mean, he actually got into one England squad and never made it off the bench. But, um, you know, didn't actually do all that much at, at the highest level. But he was, you know, his YouTube clips reel is is all you need, really. It's the, uh, the, the entertainer part of it. And he told me about... 
you know why he did that and and arguably why and how that set him up for his um for his post uh, post football career but um yeah I mean I, you know he was a player who um you know even at my advancing ages I thought yeah there's a player that I, sh- I should be more, make more effort to play like and so uh, consciously did try and do that to no great effect let's be honest, like, <laughs> gonna ask, what went wrong say, I'll say it before anybody else does <laughs> which bits of his game did you pinch uh, because uh, you could see I mean he was uh, you know playing for whole city as a kind of quarterback rather like Zico um, you know give me the ball give me the ball you know, and, and I'll spray it around kind of thing and I thought as somebody who basically had, had <laughs> gone through a number of years in football trying to keep away from the ball as much as possible uh, maybe it's about time I should, should start getting on it a bit more so uh, so nowadays I call for it and people ignore me but <laughs> <laughs> uh, well yeah Jimmy Bullard had some fantastic moments uh, with a football at his feet uh, also without um, yeah as I say one of, one of the sort of uh, great on-field characters really of, of modern football yeah so it's really nice to have um, his company down at Aztec Soccer and uh, yeah that's where Jim um, sat down with him um, for a a decent chat Um, so yeah here's a bit of that conversation I've always been a player of football yeah I've never been a huge watcher even though I watch football I've never been like you know the Gary Neville doesn't come away from me it lives and breathes in yeah I lived and breathed it by playing I always learnt in my eyes and I always watched a lot of oh do you know what I'm interested I'm more interested in individuals which we're going to get onto later what you talked Mm, about yeah yeah but it's been big on individuals watching them and like watching them create really, um, especially like Zidane, Raquel May, you know, players like that. So, yeah. So when you were a little kid, yeah, who, who was your Maradona was the first one. Okay, Maradona. I remember watching Maradona in '86. I think it was Mexico. Yeah, what you'd have been on eight. Mum's dad. Yeah, I mentioned portable. I think, well, I, I mean, it's probably the uh, my first World Cup was seventy eight and eighty when I was eight. That was when I was born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, eighty six Mexico. That was the first one when like Daddy was like, "Oh, you see this nah, Maradona," and you heard it all the time. That was the first, and then Gascoigne a bit later. Yeah, yeah. The nineties, Pavarotti. Um, it was like, sure, was it Pavarotti? No, Italian nine. He wasn't the singer, was he? Yeah, that's right. Was, yeah. Um, yeah. So. There was players in between. Zidane come up in the middle of that. Italia, but that wasn't a World Cup thing. Um, but Maradona, Zidane, Gaza, and then Raquel May later. They were my four big ones. Okay, Best yeah. as well. Georgie Best. My dad had VHSs of Bestie, but he was before Maradona. Do you know what I mean? So it was like a bit through the eras. They were my go-tos. When did you realise that you had a chance of being a... Of being a I thought I had to day late. Um, that's why I've got such a unique story. Yeah. Like, now I'm 46 looking back. I played for Millwall for uh, like 10 to 15, but my story's real raw the road. And I know, honestly, I'm not just saying it. Like, wherever I speak to, even like people that, like, a lot of people don't know I struggled to get my school team at 14, 15, 16. I struggled. Like, I was like 11th man <laughs> at a push. I was often on the bench come in. The North Kent was my county team. You know, I didn't didn't break into that, and a lot of our good players are breaking into that. And then I developed into like non-league football, and I played for um, a Corinthians. They were like stepping into men's football, 16, 17. Then I played for Dartford. So Corinthians, Corinthians, the casuals, Corinthians, casuals, oh, same and level as yeah. So yeah, exactly that. It's a similar level to this. Um, then I went to Dartford, that so was a level above Roman Premier League, and then. Believe it or not, Gravesend took a punt on me, which were a league above Dartford, but I didn't really play for Dartford. I think it was my age thing. I was only like 18. But I was 18 in like, seriously, if you see pictures, I reckon I look like 
15. I know, you said it, yeah. There's nothing. 18 going on. It was embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was almost like, oh, he's a bit young. Um, and then I got, so even when I was playing Dartford and Grey's Inn, I never thought I'd be a professional. My dad did. But I never really thought, hang on, I've got a real chance here. Yeah, and then just um, Roger Cross, who was third in line, a bloke who I didn't know, to be honest, come up to me and goes, um, do you want to try at West Ham? you got to understand I was a West Ham fan. Yeah. So it's like, like these kids today who I've come to see. I will um, put a kid out and say, like, you know, imagine young kid there, sporting Tottenham, say. Um, a man comes up to you when you're 17, asks for a trial and you turn up. Who's your best player? And he says, James Madison. And then Monday morning you turn up with your boots and you're up against one-on-one with James Madison. My player was Frank Lampard. Yeah. It's like, where does that, who does that happen to, seriously? And then I sign three weeks later, uh, two weeks later, Harry Redknapp gives me pro contract. You've also got to understand I was decorating, decorating at the time with mum and dad. That, yeah. With my dad, sorry. So I went from decorator straight on the bench at Anfield in Tottenham. Being a West Ham fan, all my family's born in West Ham, and also signed the same day as Paolo Di Canio, which would probably been West Ham's best signing through. And um, take some V and go back, probably as far as well, the Brockies Bro- Bro- and all that, yeah. yeah. You know, there has like so the same day as it. It's a bit like, how was this all happening? I was a bit like, wow, in a big whirlwind. Didn't really understand what was happening, but when you look back, it was unbelievable. So that was. That was the Royal Rovers stuff, really. That was like, you know, I had three years and I started to develop, to develop. And I played with them players and I trained with them players every day. So that was a big learn. But it never really, I mean, you no. didn't hit the heights of West Ham, did you? No. I, do you know what, as well? Never hit the heights. I've got a lot of, um, I'd say, uh, confidence knocked out of me. Really? Because I didn't achieve, yeah. But there's also underlying confidence because I was training with them. It's a weird... It's a weird combo. Because I knew training with them every day, I was learning and becoming better. But at the same time, it had not your confidence because you'd never break in. I, ne- I always deep down knew, well, how am I going to break in here? Frank Lampard, Michael Kerry, Joe Cole. You've even got a strong reserve there. I can name 12 players there that was as good, if not better than me. So before I get a break in the first team, these 10, it's like, what, really? Um, so that was an undercurrent of, like, a knock of confidence. Like, really, they got worse and worse, and then just got harder. But at the same time, when I moved on, and I went to Vitebra. And, and how did that happen? Did they come in for you, or did you just get rid of them? weird one. But Harry Redknapp wanted some money for me. Because they felt they deserved money, which was fine. Um, but there was no club really willing to give any money because I was some player reserve yeah. football. They didn't yeah. know how I was going to compare. Um, so Barry Fry just hung it out, really. And every my dad had a chat with Harry and Frank Lampard Senior, and then they knew, and they went go and I let them go on free and go and enjoy. Oh, they let you go on free. Yeah, okay. yeah. And that's what happened, really. But I went on trials before, and I went on trial at Norwich. Nigel Wyvern was a manager. Not a lot of people know. When I tried Gillingham, Essen Tyler was the manager. Um, so they had the chance to pick me, but it didn't quite happen. I thought I was close to Norwich. I was there for 10 weeks, and Norwich was in an hour in. He was close. Do you know what I mean? You know when you feel like, and deep down again, that underlying confidence. Club, am I going to do it? But with Peterborough, it's the best thing that could ever happen to me. Because from Peterborough, I signed with Barry Frosty being the manager, which was electric. It was like the best time of my life. 
and my dad in football, as I always say. But from Peterborough, my career was like, it went like that all the way to the Yeah, I mean, I didn't have a back step. Did, yeah. yeah, exactly. Did you change as a player? Yeah, I did. I So I went from a winger, so this is a unique story as well. I went from a winger, a frail winger, if you want, to later on a bit of a, a gritty centre midfield. Well, you were, you were kind of the quarterback, really. Yeah. Whole yeah, I was like, in, in that midfield court, so yeah, I was like, and then started to develop as a player at Peterborough. They, that gave me my confidence, playing, that's what I call playing for your wages. So when I was at West Ham, you're playing in the reserves, and it's like, it isn't, doesn't mean a lot. But when you're in a first team, even though there's probably more fans at a reserve game, when you're in a first team and you're playing with players that have got to pay for the roof over the lead and there's mortgages to pay and you're playing for three points for a club, it's a different process. Pressures are on, it's like more, it's in your face, it's um, everything I wanted. And I missed that for three years at West Ham, but also learned. So I can never, I could never put a bad word against West Ham. It just wasn't, it wasn't my time, I suppose. And, and this, I, yeah, I'm tempted to kind of say a little bit, tears of a crown here, because people know you as up you go, lucky Jim, and yet... You know, I listened to the interview you did with Graham, uh, the guy in Spain. Yeah. And it was, you know, and that's where you said about as a Dan and Raquel, uh, and, and I thought, bloody, people think this guy's happy go lucky. And actually, there's a kind of a deep thinker in there. Yeah, there is the thinker. Yeah, it's a cloud that I've put on. I found out as well. So, in amongst all that, I also found out I got my best football because you've got to understand as well. I wasn't in the game of football, and I'm Matt Latiska who did this to actually win games. I've never met, a, first of all, I've never met a sportsman that wants to lose. Uh, right. Yeah. We all want to win. Yeah. But I was more in the game to entertain. I was more in the game to improve myself as a football player, which in turn would win game because I dealt the same wit. But I was in the game to entertain. I was in the game. I knew there's a crowd there. So what, so going back to your question, what that joker done was bring me closer to the fans. Go oh, off, so I had an interview and I joked about, as you say, I, I played Joker Jim. I found that done well. I found I got close to the crowd. I found the crowd. And, you know, Jim, I found I got close. I found a rapport with them, which was important for my confidence. I thought this works. And then on there, I'd have a joke with a ref and I'd like tug someone in. I found how did. Then the press would get hold of that and question after, Jim, you play very relaxed. Not really. You think it's relaxed, but it's a bit of a mask. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a big cloak I wore without a shadow of that. And I just went with it. I just rode with it. I didn't know I was doing it. You know, there's certain things I'd grab and I'd do, but I didn't know. I just flew with it. I didn't even know what I was doing. I just felt it felt right. Jim speaking to Jimmy Bullard there. Um, yeah, uh, really good to see uh, him getting involved so readily down there at the Aztec Centre. Hopefully uh, they'll have uh, yeah more of those kind of occasions in the future. It was um, yeah, a really successful day. So uh, yeah, good stuff. I think that's just about it from us. As we said, it's uh, quite a quiet weekend coming up. No GFC, um, no Premier League football either. That's because uh, the under-21s are taking on the Royal Naval Fleet Air Arm for the Malaya Cup. Um, Jordan Kelly um, leading that side. So we'll be keeping our eye out for the squad. Um, at some stage this week, um, stand at the track, is it, on Saturday afternoon? I don't think we've got a kick-off time yet, so we'll uh, we'll find out. The track, is it? Keep, uh, keep an eye out in the press um, for the details of that um, to come this week. Um, but yeah, I think that's just about it from us. Our thanks once again to Rehoy and Son. And uh, yeah, thanks, Jim. Thanks, Gareth. Cheers, Tony. Thanks, Gaffer. <laughs>